Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the socially conscious films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about the ultra-obscure 1976 in vitro fertilization melodrama, Whose Child Am I?, also known as Feelings. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, on this episode, we will be wading tits deep into the murky cinematic swamp of controversial fear-mongering. Within this dark sludge floats the algae-smothered corpses of 1930s morality plays, Hollywood pro-war propaganda, and outdated Y2K thrillers. If you want to hop in with us and ruin your socks, then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1976's Whose Child Am I, or um, as it's also known, Feelings, on not streaming, because this film is fairly obscure, and bootleg VHS or DVD will likely be the only way you can ever see this film. But then you, like us, can dredge from the cesspool this video store nightmare that masquerades as an after-school special for God-fearing Christian adults. Yeah, so I actually do have an official VHS release of this. I got it from another collector on Instagram, although I don't remember who. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm leaving you out. Uh, but it's released by Electric Video, which I think is a fairly obscure um tape company like i own a few of their tapes but i don't think there are many but the box is awesome so i'll post it to instagram but on the front it has a doctor's hand holding a baby up by the feet and then inside of the baby's silhouette is a woman's face and she's moaning an orgasm i think and then behind them is like a big black hand that's hovering menacingly over a breast. And it says, handmade babies. Was it the hand of God or the hand of the devil? And that then is, That is way cooler than the box that's on IMDb. <laughs> yeah. So listen to the back. It says... Sex, violence, blackmail, and spellbinding suspense all play a part in this shocking story of, quote, artificial insemination and what it can lead to. Beautifully photographed and excellently performed, whose child am I will have you on the edge of your seat throughout. Were you on the edge of your seat throughout, Leland? Uh, you know... Edge of the seat might be a little bit hyperbole, but I, I was very interested in seeing what ridiculous direction the, the script was going to go in uh, as I kept watching. Who do you think this movie was made for? Oh, well, to answer that question, I think we have to look back at what else this director has done. This has been the first film I've seen from this director. How about you? No, same. Uh, this is directed by someone named Gary O'Hara. Yeah, and uh, I think he actually did this film under a pseudonym for some reason, which is strange because he has so many other films 
I'm assuming along this same uh, fear-mongering outrage theme. That yeah, he- the back the Regular. back of the box credits him as Lawrence Britton. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went what- through his filmography, and I, again, I haven't seen anything else. But just looking at the titles and looking at the the ideas off the top of my head, um, they, all of them seem to follow these trends of or follow this trend of relying on themes that politicians would probably play off of to manipulate voter bases. So there's a film that re- revolves around premarital sex and the inevitable venereal disease that accompanies it. Uh, there's one about swingers, one about grooming underage girls for relationships and i think there's one specifically about domestic violence so that kind of tells you who this film was made for this guy is just trying to to get the the outrage uh clickbait this is like outrage clickbait in the 1970s and and yet i don't i mean we're gonna get into this when we talk about the plot but the movie does does not play nearly as sensationalist as I thought it would. It's, it's more, this isn't saying that much, but it's more subdued than I thought it would be. But it's not just Gary O'Hara, right? So this is directed by someone named James Stevens, who I don't think directed much. Someone paid for this movie to be released, presumably in theaters. Um, Electric Video picked it up. And granted, I don't think they were in business long, but uh, they thought there was a market for this. Like, who do you think in the video store they thought would pick this up? I feel like this is a um, this this is like a a, a, a dr- I want to figure out how to word this. Um, it's created to be something that upsets people, but it's masquerading as like a family drama. That's that's how I feel it's advertised. At least, um, perhaps. Maybe that's not quite right either, because the box that you have is definitely trying to make the film out to be this extreme, obscene, potential nightmare future where all children are going to be coming out of like artificial wombs. Yeah, the VHS, I mean, it's it's marketed from my perspective like an exploitation film, which it kind of is. A little bit. I mean, I, I do really feel like this film it is trying to be like an again an after school special for um, you know very conservative people, but at the same time, this movie is front loaded with a ton of softcore pornography and you know s- sexual antics that you sort of lose any moral high ground that the director was trying to at least uh, give the impression of having uh, while you watch this film. It's strange. So I know this is kind of an odd film to, to fit in with our theme, but I wanted to do it for a couple of reasons. One, 
I do think this belongs in a family of films, if not a genre of like after school special scaremongering. A lot of these films were especially made for TV. And for whatever reason, I love these films. Like my wife thinks I'm insane for liking them, but there's something about it. It's like it's like a time capsule to a, a time when people were scared of more things. And, and I find that really interesting. And the the films are so saccharine and so unabashedly melodramatic that there's a sort of innocence to them in a way. But I also think that like I would like to do films on this podcast that did get a release that did sit in a video store and yet the the section that they would go in or the person who would rent it if anyone ever did is really mysterious like I because no other podcast is tackling movies like this right so I would like to be the one person who rented that yeah, this this is going to be an episode that gets 10 listens and and falls into obscurity. Watch this be our most popular episode. It it's got a lot of heavy lifting to do to catch up to the baby. <laughs> right. Although in some ways this is most thematically connected with the baby of all our episodes. That's true. But let's put this film in some context, right? The first successful in vitro fertilization was performed in 1977, which makes this film out to be kind of this uh, long-winded tornado siren, but for scary baby science. So when this came out, there had been no in vitro fertilizations yet? Yeah, it was talked about. There were research there was research being done, experiments performed in animals. But the first successful IVF, because I'm going to save the syllables, was performed in, in humans, was performed in 1977. That is, yeah, I just Googled it and Google actually tells me 1978. Um, that's really shocking to me. I had no idea. So this movie, in some ways, is like prophetic science fiction rather than... <laughs> I thought that this was actually uh, accounting a phenomenon that was going on. But apparently no, not. This would be like... Um, hmm. I, 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 my original example was going to be maybe something about AI, but AI can actually like ruin human civilization if, if it's done you know, incorrectly, mishandled incorrectly. Um, hmm. What's something that's absolutely benign but is definitely in the future? Uh, Self-driving cars? Yeah. I guess it would be like, uh, what if a movie came out about self-driving cars, but it was like maximum overdrive? Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> that that's, that's about on, on par with what this film would have been like in the 70s. Although I want to hypothesize one other thing, which the video box says the release date is 1981. So either it came to theaters in 79 uh, or whatever IMDb says, 
and it didn't get a video release for a few years, which is totally believable. Or IMDb is wrong, which is also totally believable given the obscurity of this film because there's nothing online about it. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it, the the mystery of this movie in some ways is more interesting to me than the film itself. Although, even though this is an oddity for this podcast, I actually think it's going to be really fun to talk about. To, to give you an idea, when you try to just Google whose child am I or feelings, no matter what year you accompany with, company it with no matter what words and other terms you aren't going to get much of anything no and i think that speaks to the fact that like the market for this movie may very well be elusive but anyhow i'm actually excited to get into the plot so there's no trailer for this film but i'm gonna play something else here and then we're gonna get into the story you want you love him? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Oh, let's go. You got Oh, my God. 
So we open with a young couple who's making love with some very like shagadelic sheets, right? And that's interspersed with the opening credits that are like uh, over top of blue velvet or satin. The beginning makes this seem like it's going to be softcore porn or maybe romantic melodrama, right? When I asked you about this film before we watched it or before I watched it, you made it sound like it was going to be a horror film that involved IVF. And, and I was expecting something where, you know, the antichrist was born from IVF or maybe some accursed kid would come out like the unborn and, and start wrecking havoc. I was not expecting anything like this. So once you got into these opening credits, what were you thinking then? You know, I I really pieced it together after they got to the uh, for after the fertilization clinic visit. After the first visit, I was like, okay, some, something was clearly lost in translation here. This really does feel like a made-for-TV movie for me, but it's full of nudity and like sexual situations that would not have been on TV. So it's really mysterious. And from what I understand, Kate O'Mara, the actress in the, our, our main couple for the film was a major producer. Yeah. I think this was, was this her first film or no, it was not her first film. Okay. Somebody in this film, it was like their first film that I read about. It might've been her husband who went on to star in a lot of movies, uh, most notably off the top of my head, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was the main villain. Yeah. Um, so this couple is making love, and the woman afterwards says, what a waste of energy. And uh, the guy is like, you're not going to start that shit again. And she says, I feel like a sperm disposal machine. And he says, I thought I was your husband. Turns out I'm some kind of pump. <laughs> like, first first impressions given this conversation. What, what are you thinking? This girl's mean. She is, at least in this scene. I think it continues through the whole film. Yeah, I mean, it's clear... It's clear that she cares more about having a baby than she cares about her husband. Like, not to say that he's right or wrong in his trepidish, trepidation towards I, um, IVF, but she's not even considerate of his point of view. She's just like, I want a baby. So she's, she tells him that without children, it's no marriage that um and and so it's clear that they've been trying to conceive a baby but with no luck yeah this is your first window into uh, 1970s or earlier relationships where your marriage had to have a child to be valid 
Yeah, it's very hard for me to identify with these characters because, like, I do not want a child. And if I do have a child, I want to adopt one, which seems totally anathema to everybody in this movie. Like, if you have to adopt a baby, you're like a second-class citizen in the world of this movie. I, I mean, I can't really speak to how authentic this film might be but i still watch it as a period i still watched it as a period piece i still think about it as a period piece yeah for sure although there are still plenty of people who feel this way i'd like to think that society has made a lot of the hot topics in this film uh outdated a little bit at least a little bit <laughs> Oh, I think it definitely has. And that's why I think this movie is interesting as a kind of time capsule. But anyway, we see the husband going into a sex store on his way home from work. And some of the stuff in the sex store is pretty funny. Like these sort of vintage sex gags. Um, There's like a, like a red ball with a dick in it. Like you squeeze it and the dick comes out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did it have like a clown face kind of? <laughs> oh. It was it was very odd, um, at least from my contemporary eyes. But he, he asked the, the guy working there if they have anything on conception. And at first the guy thinks he's talking about contraception. But then he finds out that, no, he wants something on conception. And he's like, you must be the first customer to ever ask me that. But he gets a book. And at home, he's reading this book. And it tells him that you should take the woman's temperature before bed to see if she's ovulating or not. And so he wants to take his wife's temperature and he tries to like stick it in her butt. And she's like, no, that, like that's the wrong place. So he sticks it in her vagina. Like, do you think that is this supposed to be comedic or is it like, what is this about? I think this is one of those moments that seems like it would genuinely happen between a married couple. Like, yeah, I do too, which it, to some degree makes this film feel more real to me. Really, this relationship, this the main story uh, for Whose Child Am I is why you want to watch it. I actually find the other stories far more interesting, but oh. in a like lurid, exploitive way. Well, we'll get to that, I suppose. Yeah. Um. But anyway, they go to see a doctor, and if the doctor is saying that most couples are too medieval to do anything about their infertility, and he wants to examine both of them to see who's infertile. It, this scene, like all of this, has the feeling of other scaremongering films to me. It's almost saying, like, this could happen to you. Like, you could be barren and have to go through this process at the doctor's. Did it yeah, strike this, you that way? This measure of masculinity. Um, well, spoiler alert. After the, the fertility test, it's determined that uh, Paul, the husband, is actually barren. And the movie frames this in a way where he's less of a man because he's shooting blanks. 
at least he like he thinks that way but so everybody else seems to as well like it, it's not like we learn a valuable lesson that you know adoption really can work and it's not an assault on his masculinity but that is not this movie he does come to be more accepting at the end like he definitely goes through a big character arc he does but at what cost yeah, the, the doctor says that there exists a solution for barren marriages, and he wants to do in vitro fertilization. Uh, he says it can bring happiness to a childless marriage, because, of course, there's no way to have happiness if you, you don't have children. But this is where I think we get some of the best dialogue. So the, the man, Paul, is like, you want to put another man's sperm in my wife. He says he could never accept a child from another man, that everything inside of him rebels against the idea because he won't be its real father. Someone else had to do the job for me. And he wants to d adopt because he, he says at least it seems civilized. Do you think that the like is the movie assuming that we have the same feelings that Paul is showing in this scene? I'm assuming so. And to be honest, I can imagine older generations rationalizing the situation in the exact same way. Yeah, I mean, for sure. We had in the 30s, we had Brave New World trying to horrify people with the idea of babies grown in test tubes. I guess this doesn't seem like that far off. Around this time, we meet one of our first side stories. There's a nurse who works at the clinic, and she's going out on a date. The guy is older, but she says that he has compensations. Um, and they go to a concert, and we see them in bed together. Do you want to do a tangent and talk about their story? Yeah, let's just cover the whole thing. All right, so you want to give us the gist of, of the overview of, of what happens to, with these two? So obviously we have a daddy-daughter situation with an older man and a younger woman. How old would you say she is? Probably like at least 20, right? 25? Yeah, I think early 20s. Yeah. So. And he's probably like 50s. She has been dating this person for at least three years, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a long time. And the nurse's mother only recently got a glimpse at this new boyfriend. Well, by new, I mean, uh, you know, three-year relationship boyfriend. And recognizes him as someone who was a sperm donator to the same clinic when she was getting IVF. To be pregnant with her daughter the nurse and it turns out it very well could have been the same person so what we have here is the most convoluted setup for daddy daughter porn of all time like all right imagine unknowingly being conceived by ivf because the nurse finds out in this way that that's how she was conceived she grows up never leaves the city just happens to enter the medical profession just to land a job at the same clinic by chance with the mother not saying anything and then accidentally hooking up 
with your donor father all in one plot arc. And this is only a small fraction of the movie. And really, the timeline here makes no sense because if this girl is in her early 20s, that would mean IVF had been a thing since the 50s. Well, it never really tells us when this movie took place. No. In fact, it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out this film was in the UK because all the actors have different accents. Yeah, there's There's only like a couple who sound British. There's eventually, later in the film, a a red double-decker bus in the background. And that was when it was confirmed it was the UK. And then eventually, if you miss that, there is a, a tr- the, the, the movie ends on a trial. And during the trial, the judge is acting as a second prosecutor. And that is a extremely British thing. So, yeah. Yeah, and I also noticed that at one point there's a child and she has a British accent. So I thought that was a sure sign that we must be in England. So... Ultimately, this father-daughter couple ends up just staying together, right? I mean, at the end, they're like, there's a chance it's not right. In the first half of this film, the couple is presented with the possibility that they are related. And so the clinic decides to do a blood test, and they're waiting for results to see if they are related. This test... Well, we're kind of robbed of a resolution because the test results are never fully revealed. And it takes like months. You don't get a you don't get an end cap to the story until near the end. So we have all of the about half, over half the movie waiting for the results of this test and then you don't even get to know. Instead, the couple is walking through a graveyard. Yeah. (laughs) For their last dialogue together. And they start talking about the Bible, mentioning um, uh, biblical characters who have uh, conceived with their or laid with their daughters. It's a very strange resolution because at the same time, the older the older man says you know, these tests aren't always 100% reliable. Meaning, even if they were to get test results, should we, and they showed positive, should we let that stop us? Because it might not be genuine. See, I thought that they had gotten results. And so he's saying those tests, like the results we just got, don't prove I'm your father, only that it's possible. That's what he says. So I assume that they had gotten the test results and they were positive, but they're trying to like rationalize them off. Yeah, it's it's been like two weeks since I've seen this, so I don't remember the scene verbatim <laughs> as much as I uh, or as much as I probably could. So we did we have a sort of an ambivalent ending, but it seems like they're going to stay together and they're engaged at this point. Where would you place this side story? in like your ranking of the stories in this movie like were you really invested in this one or did you think it was a distraction i think the main story is the best one by a long shot and 
I would say daddy daughter is probably number one in terms of shock value and ridiculousness, but and overall quality, it's probably the third best story. Okay. It was the one that I was most interested in, but only in like a, like reality TV sense of like wanting to watch the car accident. <laughs> yeah, that's this entire film. Really? It really is. Yeah. All right, so back to the back to our main couple, Paul and is it Barbara? I believe it is Barbara. I just I just she kept popping up and I was like, "Oh, Kate." Yeah, it's Barbara. Yeah, so um they go to a like a slideshow presentation about how semen is produced for the insemination through masturbation. And someone asks a question about venereal disease. Like, is all of this supposed to be legitimately educational? Like, is that why it's here? I'm assuming it's educational. It's also to notify the audience about what's going on if they haven't picked up a newspaper and read about this topic. Uh, that's true, yeah. Uh, so uh, it has like the double use there. You know, it's for the characters and it's for the viewers if uh, they don't know what this be. Because again, this was kind of like cutting edge developing science. Not everyone would have heard of it yet. Yeah, that's true. But after this presentation, Barbara says it's totally up to the husband that she wants him to be proud of his masculinity and to be able to love the child. But it, her mannerisms say that it's not really up to him. Like it's definitely not. No, like she's doing this, but regardless, he says like, okay, let's have it done and get it over with. This man, this man is like husband of the year for almost the entire film. He really works in an office with tons of like young, probably available secretaries. There's not a single infidelity from him the entire film. No, and even like she's denying him sex and we see him at work and all these women seem to be flirting with him, like want him. So yeah, the uh, either they cut out a side story about his infidelity or this movie is setting him up as like, a genuinely good father, which just seems really unusual for a movie, especially from this time period. So we see the doctors inserting the semen, I guess, but it doesn't work. And so she goes to see this expert. He's like a professor. And he's saying that one day babies might be decanted in artificial wombs. But he says that this kind of thing in vitro fertilization, like the results are often unsuccessful. And he thinks the healthiest children often result from natural insemination or what this he calls guy, normal mating. This guy in, in the first opening dialogue with him also talks about the oil crisis of the 70s, if you want to date this film any harder. Uh-huh. So was she referred to this expert by the clinic, or did she seek him out on her, on her own? I don't know. We don't see. I think the implication is that she sought him out. Hmm. But yeah, and this, this guy is portrayed as a scientist, but his... His... Uh, <laughs> is a revolutionary technique of infertilization is 
just get fucked by someone else. Yeah, he wants her to to engage in normal mating with a donor. And at first she's like, no, my husband would never accept that. But then she secretly goes back. And the nurse who's um, engaged to her father um, takes her to this room. And there's a guy with a surgical mask and he's opening champagne. And this is the guy she's supposed to have sex with to become impregnated. This whole scene, like, I, if if you really believed this, right, and if the goal was just to get women pregnant, you would not have to do it like this. Like, there's champagne, they get entirely naked, they're, like, making out. It seems really romantic. He says, like, no questions allowed. It could be a much simpler process than this, right? You know, this this is really far from a medical procedure. Yeah, I mean, maybe making it seem more natural is better for the baby. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, uh, sex on a din- dingy hospital bed. <laughs> With champagne drink out of those little plastic cups that you that, use to take pills with. That kills with. me, man. <laughs> The little, the little plastic hospital water cups. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. He, he, she makes a crack about his mask, so he takes it off. But then he, she has to get entirely naked. So she starts to freak out, and he says, "Don't think about me. Just think about the baby." Which I would... was really expecting, like a. Like prostitution rules here. Like he's gonna say no kissing, no this, no that. But no, yeah, it's that's... very, very strong rapey vibes here all around. Yeah, this is a really uncomfortable scene. It, eventually, she freaks out again and she can't go through with it. She says um, that she needs to leave, but he stops her on her way out and says that if she ever wants to try again, she can come to his apartment. And, and wouldn't and you the... know? And in the meantime, we see her like turning down her husband's advances. And he says he feels like he's gaining a baby, but losing a wife because she won't sleep with him. It's it's weird. Like the movie makes this situation seem uncomfortable, but it's it doesn't it's never really talked about as like an ethical dilemma. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think there's there's uh, hints of that, but this is definitely more of a film to scare, you know, cis straight men who are worried about their wives cheating on them. That's really what it felt like. And yet he ultimately accepts it. So is the movie telling said men that they should just like get over their jealousy? I think the ending is supposed to be more of um of like a, a doomsday scenario. Like this could be you. You could be accepting this new way of life. But we can stop it now by getting rid of IVF or rejecting IVF. 
Yeah, I, I'm not. It's almost like it was directed with that intent, but it wasn't written that way or the opposite. It was written that way, but he tried not to direct it that way because the movie is not like I have seen full fledged after school specials that are like, you know, drugs are bad. Th- this isn't that kind of movie. It's it's it borders on that. But the tone and the message is really weird. Anyhow, she ends up going to the the donor's apartment, and um, of course, they have a glass of wine right at, right away. It's like the times, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but uh, <laughs> when she takes a sip, she says it tastes unusual, and he says it's fifty cents a bottle. Is that? She, did you feel that in your soul? It just, I could taste it on my tongue, like an acrid, <laughs> cloying alcohol taste. I hate cheap wine. So they have sex, and then we see it. she keeps coming back. They kind of start a whole affair. Like, he even gives her keys to his apartment. Like, wouldn't her husband notice that something was weird, like something was going on? So at first, you can you can kind of rationalize her her actions, her position, and that she really wants a child. This, this is definitely, you know, a necessary evil for her to achieve this goal. But then, like you said, she keeps showing up to this apartment. She keeps bringing alcohol. She's enjoying it. Now her intentions are kind of in question. Yeah. It's, it's weird because as soon as she gets pregnant, like spoiler alert, she gets pregnant. Um, she calls the guy she's been seeing, Michael, and says, like, I can't see you again. And she says, I won't be needing your services anymore. Like, it's really impersonal. So at this point, it seems like she really was not enjoying it or not invested. It, It's odd. He, she's sending real mixed signals. Yeah, women, am I right? Oh, this one at least. I mean, that's the seven. This seventies script written by a man, uh, clearly written by a man. And yeah. again, I really feel like it's it's about you can lose your woman, your wife, if you go down this road. And this is how, as if like you know, women can't make their own you know rational decisions. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. But anyway, he Michael seems kind of upset. He's like, is that all it was to you, services? I felt a little bit sympathetic for him. Oh, no. I don't feel sympathetic for Michael at all. He's a scammer gigolo wannabe. I think he, bec- like, eventually I, I don't feel sympathetic at all. But at this point where she's like, I don't need your services anymore, I feel a little sympathy because... She has been, from my perspective, leading him on, like treating this romantically rather than a business deal. But he knew what it was going into it. Like, it was his decision to try to carry on with this um, procedure, in quotations, in his own apartment. I'm not trying to justify his actions. I'm just (laughs) saying that I do feel for him a little bit. I feel like justification is a is a pretty important part of 
sympathizing with somebody. Uh, I mean, I can sympathize with people who make really bad decisions. But were they making the bad decisions on good faith or with the best information they had at the time? Or maybe they made the decision because they didn't know any better? In this case, everything here was extremely intentional. And there was no hidden factors that could like sabotage the plans that he was trying to to make this connection he was trying to make with barbara i i think that is a good distinction uh, like an important distinction but i don't know maybe it's just my nature but even when people do really bad things i can still stump i can still sympathize but anyway we get we get sort of a montage of happy pregnancy scenes between Paul and Barbara and until they rush to the, the hospital to have a baby and they're going to name it Harry, but the doctor says that it's a girl. So they name it Harriet. And then the doctor makes some crack about how if the feminists have their way, all names are going to be unisex soon. <laughs> I, I think that that's a clear like that speaks to the the view of what I guess men thought was radical feminism during the time. <laughs> so then we skip years later and we see Harriet at, is she three? I think they mentioned a few times that she's three. We're going to go with three years old. All right. And I'm terrible at telling like how old kids are. Um, but they talk about it having been three years. We find out that the doctor who recommended her to the, the natural donor is being sued by a former patient's husband who now wants a divorce because he found out about the uh, the natural donation. And I think Paul is seeing this on TV, so he kind of gets the suspicion at this point that maybe his wife also did this. Yeah, this Paul is, is on the case. Yeah, but but at this point we're we're introduced to a new character, a new side story. Um and this is a woman who goes to see the doctor because she wants artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization and the doctor is confused. He's like, "You say you're married, but your hymen is intact." And she reveals that she's a lesbian. And so this is our second side story with a, at the time, controversial plot point or plot uh, controversial situation. Overall, I think this is probably one of the most positive representations of homosexuality in film for the time, which is weird because it's sandwiched within all the other stuff of this film. Yeah, I mean, it's a very stereotypical relationship. Um, like, they have gendered roles i suppose but it doesn't seem to be condemning it at all no just the fact that these two women are portrayed as having an emotionally and financially stable domestic relationship feel felt so unreal and and, and and they have a successful professional career with a profitable business. And that's what I'm saying is weird about this film. It's definitely related to 
those 70s scaremongering films, it feels like one when you're watching it, but then parts of the plot are much more nuanced or positive than that. So here's here's the question, right? Was the intention here to show positive representation or is it more likely that this is some kind of doomsaying prophecy about what could happen to the future traditional family structure if we allow the gays to get married and have kids? I mean, on the on the negative side, right? So when she's first talking to the doctor, she says, why should I be denied motherhood just because I'm a lesbian? And he says, he says, the odds are your child will also become homosexual without the normal male-female balance. And he says, do you want your child to have the same emotional difficulties you do? So there's definitely some homophobia and like whack science going on here. Absolutely. And and I don't think anyone who watches this would deny that. But this is still unbelievably positive compared to other films at the of the time. Yeah, when it when we see the relationship, like it seems positive, although the other woman, she's like she says that she needs to be the one to have the baby because the woman we initially meet, she says she's the butch in the relationship and she's so flat chested the baby would starve. Just in case you forgot what movie you were watching. <laughs> right. I mean, that made me laugh, but it's, I don't, I mean, I think she's saying it humorously to her partner, but I laughed because it's playing into this stereotype of the time that just seems absurd. So we see after this a love scene between them, and that has to be highly unusual. Like, yeah, you saw lesbian sex scenes in, like, you know, horror and sexploitation movies, but it seems unusual in this movie. There's already so much softcore sex. What's just a lesbian scene on top of all that? Yeah. You know, they're just like the other couples in this film. Actually, they probably are, are definitely less dysfunctional than our, our main couple. Oh, for sure. Um, at least they're like being open with one another. When When they tell the doctor that they want to switch a recipient of the donor like the other woman wants to be the the quote mother uh the the one who was called butch says that way the male female balance won't be disrupted since i'm the man in the relationship so like i don't know did people I guess people do still think this that like in gay couples there has to be like a man and a, and a woman in the relationship. In the context of this film, I interpreted this as just sort of her playing off the doctor's worldview to get what she wanted. Yeah, or even but like perhaps, I thought I... Yeah, but perhaps it was just like a, a thing in the script to justify how it could happen in the real world. 
I mean, I thought there was even like a hint of sarcasm in her saying it, but otherwise they do really seem to conform to the stereotype. They say that they want a boy because they've heard that semen can be experimented on to increase the chances of it being a boy. And if it's a boy, he'll be less likely to become a lesbian. That's how it works, right? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of the end of this relationship or this plot in the movie. We That is actually still kind of a dilemma right now because nowadays you can choose the the sex of your child if you do IVF. Can you? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Because I do think that's like an ethic. I, I do think there's ethical quandaries involved in to what degree do we use CRISPR or technology like that to like customize babies. Um, Star Trek already addressed this. Well, I mean, uh, Brave New World addressed this way back in the 30s. But oh, where do you fall on it? Like, do you think we should be able to genetically design our children? Not to put you on the spot. The problem is, where do you draw the line? Like, obviously, what we can do now is pretty tame. But what if in the future, like so many other sci-fi stories have have predicted, where we can give people superhuman intelligence, we could give them, like, heck, we can, we can give them, like, photosynthetic skin or uh, cat eyes or have a kid that looks like a werewolf like where do you draw the line at that point when genetic engineering gets to an extreme level in like centuries assuming we haven't you know totally drowned in the ocean from the ice caps melting i I mean there are parents i'm sure who would give their kids novelty traits just like there's parents who give their kids novelty names but i'd be more worried about like Surely only wealthy people would be able to afford this and they would give their kids like desirable traits. And so I think we would eventually have even more of a divide between wealthy and poor people. Like we already have a divide in terms of health outcomes and things like that. Um, So just imagine if the rich could uh, make their children superior in even more ways. Well, just never forget that no matter how smart someone is, they get killed by a thrown rock in the exact same way. True. <laughs> in case we have to rise up against our superhuman overlords. Hey, I don't think we're going to defeat the U.S. military with their tanks with rocks or guns or anything. I think we're pretty helpless. Tanks don't win wars. Oh, well, drones might. Drones might, yeah. (laughs) So back to our main couple. He goes to court to listen to the trial about the doctor who advocated natural insemination. And that night, he tells his wife about going and says that the professor has very quaint ideas 
And she basically says, let's not rehash all that. It all happened a long time ago. And I think it's in he lets it go. And in fact, they go to the bedroom together. But I think it's the my impression from this scene is that he knows that this happened, but he's going to pretend that he doesn't. He could be in denial. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think it's intentional denial. Also, I just realized we didn't get to the conclusion of the last story. What uh, what was the... I just thought we saw them happy together. Yeah, they end up having a kid. They're yeah. seen in the, the end of the movie with um, in the maternity ward. Yeah, so... Where one of the girls is holding an infant, and the other one is, like, dotting on her. Yeah, so... It, it, happily ever after for them yeah it's actually a happy ending unless you think that the gays are ruining america with their uh fest two babies all right but the movie does not suggest that mm, i don't know maybe it's like a dog whistle uh i don't know for a dog whistle i think you have to be dog whistling for some purpose like a political purpose i don't know what the purpose would be here does it have to be political specifically? I don't think it. I think there just has to be a motive. I think it's just like your, a public call to action or awareness. Yeah, I guess. Hmm. Well, Either speaking, way, this, this is my favorite. This was my favorite of the side stories overall because I feel like it was the most balanced. The lesbian one? Yes. It was well, definitely the least... Um, the the least exploitative one, the least uh, shocking one, but it was the best well-rounded. Yeah, I see that. Uh, we but... actually get a beginning, a middle, and an end. Whereas with daddy-daughter, we're kind of given a, a shifty end. And for the last story, it also has a very uh, half-assed ending. Well, speaking of side stories, and, and dog whistling for that matter... Um, we're introduced around here to another side story about a, a woman named Mrs. Lustig who was accidentally injected with African sperm. And so they think that she may want an abortion, so they need to tell her. So the nurse who's engaged to her father goes to see her and... I actually really liked this character. I thought she was really funny. Uh, this is the sloppiest segment of the film, man. Like, nothing about this perspective mother feels or, or seems natural. It's like she plopped out of a comedy movie, a completely different film. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is I actually think it's a really good comedic performance. Like, basically, she's she's like a pothead or a stoner, and... She has all these mannerisms, physical mannerisms in her voice that I think, unless it's just how she is in real life, I think is like really good acting, but she seems imported from a different movie. Like she doesn't seem to go in this one, but like she's smoking weed. She says, I know this looks bad, but like I'm addicted to this stuff. Yeah. Um, smoking while pregnant. <laughs> yeah. She offers the nurse some of the weed and she says no, but this girl's like stoned out of her mind. And upon hearing that there was a mistake and she was injected with 
they call it African sperm. Um, the woman, she's obviously upset. She's like, don't talk anymore. Just go. But she seems to get over it pretty quick. Yeah, they kind of uh, skip the conflict part of the conflict resolution. They just go straight to she's accepted it because... The original plan for this couple was to adopt a kid who wasn't going to be white anyway. So how is this any different? Yeah, which is enlightened, I suppose. She says the main thing is having someone to love and take care of. Did you think it was weird that she talks a couple times about like her and her husband decided, but we never see her husband? I can't imagine the budget for this film. Maybe they just couldn't find a guy to pull off the film crew to pretend to be a husband. Oh, maybe they maybe there was more of a story here and they had to cut it out for time. I mean, either that or the script's underwritten. I feel like there's a there's a couple things in this film that are not fleshed out as well as they could be. Well, there's also like things that don't seem to matter. Like this pothead character she goes to the hospital because she thinks she's having contractions, but they're only psychological contractions. And she's like eating an orange and being really flippant. Like it's Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. She's eating an orange right through the peel. <laughs> yeah. She didn't even peel it. <laughs> like it's really funny to me. I, I think this is a great comedic performance. Whether or not it goes in this movie, I don't know. But that's pretty much the end of her story, right? Yeah. So is this still an issue in today's society? Like, do you think this is still a thing? No. I mean, maybe among um, older people. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think most people have accepted homosexuality at this point. I definitely, th and, I, and I think interracial relationships are even more accepted. Yeah, I just, I just wasn't sure if I was giving society too much credit for, like, coming so far since the 70s. Yeah, I, I just I needed mean, so, some kind of confirmation. So not to go on, like, too much of a personal tangent, but, like, my mom's been in a relationship with... My mom is white, and she's been in a relationship with a black man for a long time. And when they first started dating, my grandparents were really not accepting, like... They said that it was the equivalent of like having a drug addiction, that the family would not accept her, that like they thought that races needed to keep to themselves. But now, like after a year or so, once they got to know him, they're super accepting. And they've actually told me like, you know, we were wrong and we've learned that that we were wrong and like why and so i think that that's the case for a lot of people is they either know someone who's in a relationship or they have a family member who's in a relationship or there's a black person adopted into their family like the more people are exposed the more accepting they are hmm. so i think that like i'm sure there are some like Trumpsters on Reddit complaining about the social, the, the commercials shoving interracial relationships down our throats and blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't, I wouldn't give too much credence to that. Anyway, anyway. so 
back to our our main um couple uh, we meet harriet's grandmother and she's saying that they need to tell harriet that she was the product of in vitro fertilization because relationships can't be based on deceit and what if she finds out one day well i certainly don't want her to end up like the nurse right <laughs> right <laughs> But she gets news, or they get news, that Uncle Harry, who Harriet is named after, was killed in a car accident. And he was very wealthy and left everything to Harriet, but the estate has to be overseen by the father. This plot point initially to me seemed to come out of left field. Like, it seems so bizarre. I knew exactly where it was going after I, it came to light that the there was going to be an inheritance. Yeah, I knew what was coming too, and I'm sure our listeners know what's coming. But um, I guess, you know what it seems? It seems really artificial. It seems very contrived, like set up for the plot. Oh, of course. I mean, the inheritance was something like, 50,000 pounds yet somehow that ended up being a significant amount for a story in the newspaper and that's the only reason the uh, the gigolo donator found out yeah so Michael he finds out because he reads about it in the paper and of course he calls up the mother and he's like I've just been thinking a lot about you like I want to meet and she reluctantly agrees um, because he says that he's thinking about just showing up at the house. And so they meet at a restaurant. Um, and he says that things were always different with her. And he wants to be the father. And, and he, he also says that things aren't going well for him. And maybe she could help him out. And so this is where the blackmail comes in. Or at the back of the box calls it blackmail. But of course, she says, like, no, you can never meet my my husband like this can't happen. But he shows up at the house anyway. And he says, I've come to take charge of my daughter's estate. And he's going to sue for custody at this point. Like, what did you think was going to happen at this point? Did you think that he was going to successfully sue? No, I because hmm. see, that's what I would expect in like a scaremongering movie. Like I would expect him to win the lawsuit and like this to end in travesty but like that's not what happens no i i was borderline thinking uh paul was just gonna murder him <laughs> before goat went to trial yeah well there's some like at some point he goes and beats him up or they get in a fight I yeah, well, like they beat really each other up. I don't think there's really a winner. No, they're both pretty pitiful. Yeah, Paul figures out where Michael lives and then just barges into the apartment. First, he goes to see a friend who's also a priest. And this character like comes out of nowhere. And he's asking him for advice. And the priest is saying that the church highly condemns artificial conception or abortion but to consider the case of the humble carpenter joseph who loved jesus even though he was not his actual father 
I think this is written as like, no pun intended, like a come to Jesus moment for Paul, but it's not really filmed that way. It's just filmed unremarkably. This priest is throwing hoops with the youth club before coming over and dropping the sermon. Yeah, like this this scene seems to come out of nowhere. I can see how in the script it could have been written as a significant scene where Paul learns to accept his daughter, but it's not filmed or directed that way. And it leads to me to think that like directing is a major problem here. Maybe the scene is to show that the church is starting to lose its way. Oh, maybe. I mean, that's definitely becoming a thing now among, um, you know, certain denominations of Catholics where they're not liking what the Pope's been putting out recently. Well, this Pope is very progressive. For a Pope. Yeah. But anyway, back to the movie. So they go to a lawyer who, who calls Harriet a test tube baby. I thought that was funny. Um, but he says that parents could be prosecuted for claiming their child is legitimate, even though she's not. And he says there's never been a case like this, that it will establish jurisprudence. So the movie basically becomes like a courtroom drama at this point. My, the, favorite, my favorite episodes of Star Trek are always the ones that end up as a surprise court finale like a surprise courtroom drama. And I got the same feeling for this I, film. I really like like courtroom stuff. Um, I think it's a, maybe it's like a lazy way to resolve your plot, but I still like it. The, so the judge asked the little girl, Harriet, to point out her mommy and daddy, and she does. And so it's clear in a very heartwarming way that she sees Paul as her daddy and the, the man who is suing them, Michael, he comes like, he's full asshole. Now he's, as he's testifying, he's basically saying like, well, she led me on and she made me feel like it was a more, more of a relationship than what I initially signed up for. I want to know who this guy's lawyer be because this man starts saying all sorts of things on the stand that I don't think any lawyer would want their client saying. No, like what? Well, first off, he starts lying on the stand. Most lawyers sort of, uh, you know, recommend against that because if you get caught in your lie, you're done. He's basically trying to paint a picture of he really was in love with her and all these years he's wanted to be a father and she's been keeping the daughter from him. But then he realizes the judge isn't really going for this. So then he starts saying she was seeing other people at the same time. Right. So obviously her marriage does not matter to her. I don't think your lawyer would want you to do this because now you're definitely throwing out even more uncertainty that you are at the actual father of this kid. Right. They even bring up another donor to testify that he also had sex with Harriet. At first I thought this was like a, some sort of 
like skeezy lawyer tactic like salt, salt the earth tactic like hey we ain't winning the case but we're gonna take you down with us but uh no that's not how it worked out so i thought it was really odd in the judge's final decision he quotes the bible and basically says that like parents should not have children by unnatural means but then he says that he understands a woman's right to fulfill her biological function and so if her husband can't impregnate her he says that he it makes sense to him that she went to a donor that the donor was paid for his services and so cannot claim paternity and that Paul is the true and legal father. And so we get a, a happy ending. Man, we kind of skipped over the reveal though. When she, I think she takes the stand and she says, yeah, actually there was more than one person I was uh, trying to conceive with. Yeah. So who knows who the father might be? In fact, that was part of the ending where, you know, the husband is somehow more accepting knowing that he'll never know who the true father be <laughs> at all in any in, in any con knowable, conceivable world. Yeah, he says that that makes him feel better. Would that make you feel better? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, he says that he says that since there was more than one, it shows that she didn't care about any of them. But. Yeah. I don't, okay, so first of all, I would not be bothered by the idea that someone else was the father of my child. No, like, not at all. I, but... it, adoption very much appeals to me, so I don't understand that hang-up. But I do understand being uncomfortable with my wife having slept with multiple people without telling me. I mean, one, like... I, I'm very monogamous and I don't think that I could ever do like a polyamorous relationship. I just know that I get jealous and like uncomfortable. But if that didn't bother me, the dishonesty would have like yeah. her not telling me. Not only that, she's clearly enjoying it when she's with the, the scenes with Michael. She's into it. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of got a point that she kind of did lead him on. Well, uh, no. no. No, you won't give him that much? Nope, not not giving him that. I mean, he says it in an in a dishonest way. Like it's clear his motivation is not love. But I do think he kind of has a point. I also realized we skipped over the the only part where Paul is can't really be sympathized with. There's a there's a marital argument after Michael leaves the house, words are exchanged, tensions are high, and Paul backhands Barbara. Yeah, but he, he apologizes pretty quickly. He does. And they do make up, but that is the only point in the movie where you can't really sympathize with the guy. So when this movie was made... I think the common cultural belief was that like men just can't help it, right? Like they're like naturally violent and if they're provoked, they hit their wives. And like, it's unfortunate 
they shouldn't do it, but we should understand. <laughs> right. Like, don't you think that was the, the cultural consensus? Yes. And I mean, it's really unfortunate that it was that way, but it, this movie is not like unique in showing him. So I think that at the time, people, especially men, might have been sympathetic. Yeah, they, they might probably have, relate to their situation. Relate to the situation. <laughs> yeah, he he says it, during this scene, she asks him. She's like, "Don't you love Harriet like she was your own child?" And he says, yes, I love Harriet, but I hate you. And that's when he backhands her. That's pretty extreme. But yeah, so Paul apologizes and she seems to understand and they hold one another. And I think we're meant to forgive him pretty immediately. I mean, compared to what some of these other characters are doing, I guess it's uh, not quite as bad. It's still yeah, bad, this- though. This is the end. We we get our main story wrapped up pretty neatly. Most of the other stories feel kind of like asides with no true resolutions. Although I guess the lesbian couple, we see that they're happy. So you want to go ahead and give final thoughts and a rating out of four? The bottom line here is that the script feels confused and definitely underwritten when it comes to the subplots especially the half-ass endings for most of them but based on the director's filmography as we discussed there was the obvious intent to create a scare piece drama but i went into this thinking that there was more of a a moral high ground that was given up by all of the gratuitous nudity and sex scenes peppered in. But now I'm not so sure. Maybe there wasn't meant to be um, any kind of um, ethical concern to begin with. Perhaps this film really was just about getting those angry clicks, getting people riled up and not really concerned about the aftermath or the overall messaging by the end of the film. Because I think Luke is right. If this film was trying to be more of a of a society preservation message, he probably would have lost the trial. He would have had a much more negative ending. A lot of the stories would have had negative endings. It's probably a little bit convoluted to to assume that the these complex endings seem happy on the surface, but maybe are a sign or a dog whistle of um you know, future horrible societal changes to come. That's probably really overthinking it. But besides that, the film sentiments, most if not all of the film sentiments are severely outdated, um, I hope. In today's world, you'd probably be able to find some folks who live in the Bible Belt who take this as doomsayer gospel, but they'd have to make it through the softcore porn to be outraged in the first place. As ridiculous as the premise be with the infidelity, unintentional incest, um, and the silly scientist caricatures, uh, this is still a fun watch. I wasn't bored at any point because I was always left guessing what um, perceived ethical, outrage-charged plot angle was coming next. 
it's it's best here to ignore the subtext and enjoy this as a ridiculous period piece even if it's probably inauthentic on a lot of levels the performances from Kate O'Mara and Paul Freeman are at a caliber significantly higher than what this production deserved. And the main story alone is what makes this worth a watch for anyone who really digs stories about dysfunctional romantic relationships, struggling through emotional turmoil, right? Like couples who hurt each other while suffering loudly. And, and if you like that stuff, you know who you are. I, I wasn't too impressed by most of the side stories. We've already covered those to death. Overall, I give this a coward's rating of two stars. So this movie is kind of a weird meeting place between like a family exploitative melodrama, like woman under the influence type of thing. And an after school special like made for TV scaremonger film. It, it feels like both of those things at some points and its actual message and purpose and audience and theme often are unclear to me. It's not as lurid as some of those other films, but it's also not as wholesome or trying to be wholesome I don't think there's like a social message here, but there is some some misguided social consciousness. But anyway, I like this movie. I, I can't really say why, except I just like living in this world of the uh, sort of 70s melodrama. And I like when films exist in these weird gray areas where... I can watch it and be like, who the fuck was this made for? What section of the video store would this go in? And would anyone pick it up at all? Because the video box it really hypes up the, the scare factor, right? And it, it, so that all intrigues me. So anyway, this is all to say that I don't think this is really a good movie. I think that the acting is good, but the the script and the direction are kind of at odds with one another where the direction is very pedestrian and very one note, but the script seems to suggest that there are these very hysterical, like significant scary scenes. And then the, the direction just doesn't show us that. So anyway, I, I like this movie. If you're into this kind of thing, I think you you have realized that by this point and probably know whether you would enjoy this movie or not. I'm also going to give it two stars. Uh, it's it's not good, but I, I quite enjoy it. I, I had fun with it. I think that if you were with a group of people, you could definitely like riff on this. And you just can't take it too seriously because then you're going to be offended. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you've got to you've got to look at it as a, a product of a less enlightened, less accepting time. The primitives of the 70s. Yeah. 
So we will probably never do another movie like this, but I'm glad that we did one and we kind of touched on this genre and, and I enjoyed talking about it. If you can hunt this down, then I, I think it's worth it. I'm glad that it's in my collection. I'll put it that way. Even though it kind of sits on the shelf alone because I'm not sure what you would pair this movie with. So do you think this movie holds up after a second watch? I actually enjoyed it more the second time than the first time. Hmm. This was my second watch, by the way. Um, the first time, I think I was a little disappointed because I was hoping that it was going to be more lurid and ridiculous. Um, this time I knew what to expect, and I think I so I could relax more and just enjoy it for what it is. I could see us doing another one of these in the future. I don't know if by the same director or someone else. But there's probably one out there that fits more of the video store nightmare theme than this one. I mean, there's tons of these that I like, especially the made-for-TV ones. So we could certainly do more of these in the future. I don't know if... break on them, yeah. What? Let's take a break on them. Let's give it a little little bit of time. Yeah, for sure. And and speaking of which, we haven't talked about what we're going to do next week. It's almost like spooky season. Right? Like the weather is just starting to change here. It's starting to feel like fall a little bit. So, pretty soon, I think we're going to get into like Halloween inspired stuff. Are you teasing me? Do you think you're better than me? Because I'm in Florida and the seasons aren't changing. (laughs) Oh, well, it's the last few days here, it's been like in the 50s at night. During the day, it's gotten hot, but. those 50 degree nights are are starting to make me feel like fall but anyhow we're not there yet we're not to to halloween season films yet i'm gonna suggest that next week we do mountaintop motel massacre i have seen this box before yeah i've never seen the film it has one of the all-time great taglines don't disturb evelyn she already is this is one I used to, like, I first saw it renting it. Um, this is one I always saw in the video store growing up. And I bought my first copy, like, I think I got it from Cool Video for 10 cents, which I talked about that find in a previous episode. I, I like this movie. It's fun. It's um, it's really goofy. It's kind of like Motel Hell which is, I guess, a cult classic, but I think it's Stranger. Um, so I'm kind of excited to watch it. I, I reacquired it recently, and I've been wanting to watch it ever since, but I held off because I thought it would be good for the, the podcast. But anyway, okay, so next week, Mountaintop Motel Massacre. And you can find it on YouTube. All right, Leland, any last words for this week? Thank you for your continued support. Yeah, I hope you, um, I mean, let us know if you like hearing about these kinds of movies. Uh, I Let me know if there's other podcasts out there talking about this, because um, I, I, I definitely dig that. But in the meantime, um, check out our friends in the horror podcast community, like uh, Laser Graves, the Laser Graves podcast, and Bad Taste Video podcast, um, Say You Love Satan. Check out all those guys. Because everyone out there is is doing cool stuff. For us at Video Store Nightmares, we are sorry that we missed a week. I was moving and 
things were just chaotic and I didn't even have internet access to talk with Leland. So um, sorry for the delay, but we will be back next week with uh, Mountaintop Motel Massacre. And until then, have a good one, everyone. Goodbye.